there was me, that is Alex, and my three droogs, that is Pete, Georgie, and Dim. And we sat in the Corova milk bar, trying to make up our Razoo dogs what to do with the evening. The Corova milk bar sold Milk Plus, Milk Plus Velocet, or Sintamesk, or Drencrum, which is what we were drinking. This would sharpen you up and make you ready for a bit of the old ultraviolence. My name is Billy Colton. I'm here with my friend and film critic, Will Pfeiffer. Will, hello there. Hi, Billy. If you have listened to this show before, we appreciate you coming back to us and downloading again. If you are a new listener, the premise is simple. My friend Will has seen about a million movies. I've seen a few. I have not seen so many movies. And we pick something and debate its merits. Exactly. This week's featured movie is A Clockwork Orange, which I have to say, I have some things to talk about. But first, Will, I like to ask you, have you seen any good movies lately? I have seen good movies. In fact, I saw, I'm going to do this quickly. I saw a short film by one of my favorite directors in the entire world. And it's a movie that, assuming you have Netflix, like everyone else in the English-speaking world, you can watch it too right now. And it is a short 17-minute black-and-white movie called What Did Jack Do? I don't know what to, how to respond. 17-minute movie? 17 minutes, a short film. Um, David Lynch originally did it, I believe, in 2017 for a French film festival. That's why it's short, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, David Lynch, if you don't know, he's the guy who did Blue Velvet. He did Twin Peaks, Wild at Heart, Mulholland Drive. I mean, one of the, I would say, one of the great American filmmakers and one of the ones who is very much his own vision. Very it's often very strange, very surreal. He did Eraserhead. You know, he has a he has a real way of making movies. His movies are like no one else's movies. He also has a very distinct look. He has a very distinct look. He has uh, crazy hair. You know what vector art is. Yes. The, you know, illustrator, trace lines. Um, David Lynch's hair is like a very traditional way to learn how to trace hair. I've often said that um, I do not have David Lynch's vision. I do not have his talent. However, with work, I could have his hair. It is the most horrific thing ever to be friends with somebody who has great hair at, at 71 years old you are? 70, yes, I'm 52, <laughs> Billy. But David Lynch is in his 70s and he has incredible hair. It is it's so frustrating, you people. I know. Well, someday you won't have to worry about that. <laughs> someday in June, perhaps. <laughs> but anyway, back to what did Jack do? David Lynch stars in this movie. Um, and I'm going to just read the plot from Wikipedia because I couldn't sum it up any better myself. The film synopsis reads... In a locked-down train station, a homicide detective, that would be played by David Lynch, conducts an interview with a tormented monkey. (laughs) It is. It's a monkey. It's a, uh, I believe they're called a capuchin monkey. Not a chimp, not an ape, but an actual monkey, smaller little monkey. Um, The monkey is uh, suspected of murder because the monkey was in love with a chicken, and the monkey is suspected of murdering the other person or animal or whatever it is in this relationship. It's a little unclear. Um, 
I know your wife, Billy, is a big fan of the show Friends, right? I was going to bring up the monkey that they decided to put on that show for no reason. This is the same monkey. That's hilarious. It's the same monkey. And he is so good in this. He's much better than he was on Friends. For one thing, they do a thing where he talks, you know, so they digitize his mouth. So you're, but it, you're doing an earnest review of the monkey's performance. Yeah, it's great. Okay. It's seriously great. That's what's happening right it's now. It's great. And the monkey at one point, because you would think, oh, it's all about David Lynch and this monkey. The monkey is the main character. At one point, the monkey sings a song and it's a very serious sort of pleading song. I loved this. It's weird. It's in black and white, beautiful black and white. It's got David Lynch's, you know, trademark weird sound design to it. It's got a bit of a weird twist ending. 17 minutes of your time. My daughter watched it with me and she was laughing the whole time. And it is funny, but it's also just kind of strange and weird. And go to Netflix, look up What Did Jack Do? Watch it. It won't take long. And uh, at the very least, you will have seen something you've never seen before. I did not see this coming. I, I know. I just watched it today. And I, I put on Twitter, I said, um, I said something like, I've just seen What Did Jack Do? So far, it's the best thing I've seen in 2020. And I may still be able to say that on December 31st, 2020. That's, that's nuts to me. I love David Lynch, so admittedly I'm biased. But seriously, I had so much fun with this. You know what I've done? I, I abandoned Twitter. I'm on it. My name exists. You tagged me today in a tweet. Yeah. So you can people can reverse engineer when this is being recorded. But <laughs> you really think people are going to do that? <laughs> people, people do things. People have a lot know. of free time. Yeah, well, that's what Twitter is. It's just free time. But... uh. I feel weird about it, man. Like I don't, I don't like it anymore. I really hate everybody on Twitter except our audience. Of course. See, but you, we, I said, said you follow the wrong people, then. I, yeah, I might because I, might. I don't get all. Because you were saying everyone's bitching about Star Wars or this and that. I don't get those people. Oh God, I just, it's just like endless. Let's speak of Star. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about Star Wars. This would be Rise of the Skywalker. What's so, it called? Uh, what is it called? Oh my God, I haven't is, seen it, Billy. It's Rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker. Well, yeah, but it's not like you're like. There's the the big title crawl at the beginning where they tell you the title, and then two and a half hours go by, yeah. and so I forget. I understand. Um, plus, they're all kind of generic. Yes. I don't. They all kind of feel interchangeable. You could have said it was like Rise of whatever. Rise, the Jedi. Rise of something. the Jedi. Right. And, and it'd be like, like yeah, oh, that sounds like about right. right. Yeah. <laughs> You know what's weird about it? You haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it. And you know, this is this will I honestly don't see seeing it in the theater. I don't really have that much desire. I think I'll catch it on the TV sometime. And this will be the first yeah. Star Wars movie I haven't seen in the theater. Going all the way back to nineteen seventy seven. So I'm not gonna spoil anything. It's too new. I mean it's it's been out a month and a half. Yeah, we don't want to spoil it for but you I, can spoil it for me, but let's we love our listeners, so we're not. This will this will be a five minute section if you guys want to fast forward, but um I bet it ends up being like 12 minutes. <laughs> but one thing I thought, it's, it's interesting. I saw it with a big group of people, not Will. Um, I saw it with like eight people. Yeah, I wasn't invited. And then, well, you wouldn't have come. And then the movie uh, ended and we all go and we stand in the, you know, in the theater hallway, you know, afterward, like to sit and discuss what we thought. And I was the one who was most evangelical, who liked it the best, which is not my shtick. I don't like things. No, Billy doesn't <laughs> like anything. So life, movies. I'm pretty miserable, frankly. I'm, you know, I'm 36 going on like, you know, what are you again? 72, we said? 71? I'm 53, but I have the hair of a 36-year-old. <laughs> oh, well, David Lynch is old, so you have the hair of an old... All right, so right. I enjoyed it, right? Like, I, I in the theater, it was... It felt exciting. And I, one thing that is, um, I'm a sucker for is polish. I know that sounds dumb. I, I like not polished, too. I like a See, rough, I like not polished. I like not polished rough movies for sure, right? I don't, I don't actually hold things against, you know, movies based on how well-produced they are. But when I watch all three of these latest Star Wars movies, I come away going, I could never do that. That's a dumb thing to say out loud. But 
you look at how much talent it takes to make something look it's just it's so well shot and well composed and it's glossy and slick and funny and adventurous and your heart's racing and you're you know it's just like a it's, i've heard and i haven't seen it but i some people have compared it to the just feeding you sugar 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 so kind, you have that rush yeah and, and i just came away being just delighted like that is so well done that would take like my whole life if i started right now to make movies i would never be able to make something like that so i appreciate it i looked at it and went like these people know what they're doing and then time passed. But do they? <laughs> and time passed, and I started thinking about it, and I started- The sugar rush wore off. Yeah, and you got a headache. Yeah. You're tired. Uh-huh. And you realize how many bits of the movie do not make any sense. And, you know, we're willing to forgive dumb plot holes, right? Like, sure. You know, you spend a lifetime, you know, Han shot first, or a parsec is in a unit of speed, or whatever, you know, like whatever, right? Like, there's a million little things you go, ah, it doesn't matter. It's just quirky Star Wars crap. This is much more like- wait a minute it's not just a plot hole it's a logic hole like this doesn't add up stuff doesn't add up and you, then you start to read about how this movie was being edited like three weeks before its release mm -hmm. how what a rush how panicky it was and you see it it's see i heard I, from all i've read this movie was, of all the star wars movies even the prequels well i mean especially prequels in a way but this movie was made at the corporate level i, I it was I, not made by the director i mean say what you will about the prequels and i will say that they're terrible at least it is Lucas's vision. Are you are you selling the auteur theory here? Well, I kind of am. <laughs> and sometimes the auteur theory means they result in a bad movie. Right. But at least this is what he wanted, mm -hmm. for better or for worse. Yeah. So, yeah, agreed. And when you're watching this, you can see how scared shitless they were of The Last Jedi. Yes. Yeah. Just how they were so afraid they killed Star Wars. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I guess, and that's maybe where I'll stop, right? I, it's really weird. I bet you if I watched it again, if it's like on demand here in a month or whatever, and I just, I, I bet you while watching it, I enjoy myself again. But then think about it. And you feel bad about and it. And you feel bad about mm -hmm. it again. It's just like, what? Am, I don't know how to explain that. I, I thought, um, you know, there's the opening scene of Force Awakens is this like sort of strobing effect of stormtroopers uh, as they're about to be deployed. Right, right. And there's these quick cuts. And I realize it's a little gimmicky and it's a little J.J. Abrams, you know, lens. Yeah, there's lens flare. It, it's, you know, it's maybe like 15% to like, hey, pull back a little bit. But it's cool. Like, And there's some good stuff, especially beginning of Force Awakens. It, I mean, I tend not to like it because I think it's essentially a remake of Star Wars. But there's some, you know, for once, the stormtroopers are a threat. Right. It's scary when they land. One one little oh, this is actually Mandalorian. We could wish we could piggyback off on. You haven't seen that yet either, right? I haven't. Um, Mandalorian. I think I described this to you. And I, so that's that's by the way. I'm gonna move on. That's that's okay. my review. So that's your review. It's the rise of Skywalker. Fun to watch in the movie, and then when you think about it, it's it's baffling how bad it is. Like we're <laughs> you're baffled. Wow, that's an interesting review. Uh, there, there there's a moment. Uh, and I guess it's because they're like in atmosphere. I think. But characters run on top of a, a Star Destroyer and like fight without- You mean on a spaceship while it's flying? Yes! <laughs> okay, now- What if the characters is riding like a space horse? Forget atmosphere. How fast are- Just to stay no, in orbit, no, how fast are the- Oh, right. No, they're stationary, but I get what you're saying. Okay, but, but even a stationary spaceship is moving at thousands of miles an hour. That particular scene isn't one of the things that makes you go, that's dumb. Or, you know, it just is dumb in the moment. And if the movie is good enough, you're like, you don't- care yeah. oh one positive maybe maybe this will end it um i absolutely loved and spoiler alert the emperor's in the movie you see him on the poster right All right love him okay here's the one thing i will say is ian mcdermott who plays the emperor mm -hmm. 
the prequels, which again, for some reason today, I was watching part of them. They were on TBS or something. I was from other channels. They're terrible. However, he is obviously having a blast. Yeah. He is fun to watch. Mm -hmm. The movies are not worth watching, but if you had to pick one thing, he's a lot of fun. The way his man, his, his, he's, he's a very still actor in his posture, but his talking is fast. There's that moment where he goes, not for a Jedi. And he, but as he's saying that, he's turning his head real slow yeah. to talk to Eddie. And it's like, I, that, that scene sticks in my head. It's great. Well, there's, a, I mean, the in, opera scene, I think. Yeah. In, in, uh, in Revenge, uh, Return of the Jedi, Revenge way, of the going Nerds. way back, Return of the Jedi, um, he has that great moment when Luke refuse. It's the, the best part of Return of the Jedi is when Luke is having this crisis of conscience, fighting Vader and this and that, and um, he finally throws away his lightsaber, like he's not going to kill Darth Vader. And then Ian McDermott has a great line where he just goes, "So be it, Jedi." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. it's just a great moment. Yeah. I mean, it's corny and it's over the top, but it works. Damn it, it works. He's all messed up like physically and it's it's cre it's unsettling it's you know more unsettling than you'd expect from star wars right because yeah star wars is really unsettling but his he's just so charming it's great uh, i really like i just love him he's yeah i agree he's the most fun thing about those movies i don't like to keep this intro going this much longer but we're never going to talk about it again so i want to bring up the mandalorian mm -hmm. um, i think the way i described it to you in the moment because it's been a month since i've seen it but was it's good for a network TV show. Mm -hmm. Lost is not as good of a show as Mad Men or Breaking Bad or The Sopranos. But in its day, as we watched it, it was good. We were into it. it we did a podcast about it. About 10, 12 years. I mean, forever. We were cutting edge, man. It's oh, oh eight, oh nine, or something? Mm -hmm. like Whenever Lost yeah. was on. Uh, you can still find that on Stitcher, but I don't think the episodes play. It exists as the Register Star podcast if you want to hear me and Will talk about Lost when I was like 23 years old. He had most of his hair back then. Oh, I, you know, I, my hair's growing back. I have, I, I'll have i put it aside, but but ladies and gentlemen, keeps.com, I'm telling you, it's working. Now, what should I do for my, oh, I don't need it. Oh, man. <laughs> but so, anyway, Mandalorian. Um, good for a network TV show, a little simple, like it's, there's not a lot going on, you know, when you're watching it, it's just like sort of a, a note for note, you know, TV yeah. series. I've heard a lot of people say it's like a samurai movie, but you know. It's, it's a like, Western for yeah. sure. It's just a Western, but. Charming. Every yeah, single time fun. I watched it, it ended, and I was just like satisfied. There you go. And it, I like that it was short. I like that it wasn't this. It was kind of a nice um, surface level way for them to expand the universe, sure. which they've had trouble doing. Really, I mean, everything have. has to be Skywalker and this and I that. Think one of the things Star Wars struggles with, um, because because there's plenty of stuff they could tell cool stories like with the cloning world. Those people like just set a story there. But instead, they are like they have. They Star Wars feels the need to explain the why exactly behind it's, nobody lots. cares. The, uh, a good example: apparently, the Mandalorian is like a creed, not a race. So anybody who gets like adopted into this culture, I'm sorry, draw and dozed off briefly. No, I understand. Not I'll, for you. I'll for edit, the I'll edit that part out. <laughs> uh, but apparently, they can't remove their helmets. And so, if you had just said, "I," this is not what we do. We don't take our helmets off. No problem, but it gets touched on in like seven of the ten episodes or something, that. or six of the eight. It's like it's like in the movie Solo, Han. Uh, I'm alone. Oh, Solo. Who needed who who needed the movie Solo? First of all, he's a better character if you don't know his past. Yeah, yeah, fair. I like I actually kind of like that movie, but I don't want to. I don't want to okay. do this. We've talked about Star Wars. We've talked for like about way yeah. too much. Is but. it possible maybe that a movie that a guy made in 1977 didn't need to continue for? 
30, 40 years. And no, have, it's got it's got 50 more years before they reboot the whole thing. I'm looking forward to a New Hope remade. You'll see. That'll happen. Well, I'm they're, not looking they're doing to. Bambi as a, well, they're phony baloney bullshit live action. So I like how you're riled up right now. I know. It's Disney. Let's talk Bastards. about a much happier subject. Let's talk about, and this was, by the way, a major studio release. This was Warner Brothers. This is not some little artsy fartsy movie that snuck out. What year was this? This would be 1971. Let's talk about 1971's A Clockwork Orange. Well, Georgie boy, this idea of yours for tonight. Tell us all about it then. Not tonight. Not this, Notchy. <laughs> come, 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 Georgie boy. You're a big, strong Chelovec like us all. <laughs> We're not little children, are we, Georgie boy? What then didst thou in thy mind have? Directed by Stanley Kubrick, who has directed, uh, you know, he, he picked and chose his, his projects very carefully. Only 13 movies, I think, on his resume. <laughs> freaking review i almost swore we we reviewed like 11 of them so far hey they're all worth watching that's the thing i think we've only reviewed two by the way this is the third the third you're right shining 2001 and strange love that's right all three classics this This movie came out yeah that's right this movie came out after um uh 2001 Mm -hmm. which was i believe a g-rated movie i want to say 2001 was rated g because, you know, there's nothing, there's a little violence, I guess. You do see an animal get killed on screen, but I want to say maybe it was G-rated. At the very least, it was PG. Those are some cutting edge, like hard action establishing shots, though. They were like, they really, it was like a PG-13 level establishing shot in that movie. Listen to you. <laughs> Billy, yeah, well, he, Billy hates quality movies, but anyway. You like the Skywalker, but anyway. You know what I like is time. I like, I value my time. Oh, do you? Yeah. Let's so continue. You, Tell me about a Clockwork Orange. Clockwork Orange. Um, it's based on a novel by a guy named Anthony Burgess, and it is about a young man named Alex, played in a, I would say, iconic performance by Malcolm McDowell. Um, he's a, a delinquent, a ne'er-do-well, a rapscallion, one might say. Um, he spends his nights getting drunk, going around, robbing, attacking, fighting, raping. Um, and he, when he's not doing that, he spends his days not going to school, listening to Beethoven, specifically Beethoven's Ninth, um, picking up uh, young girls at the legendary Chelsea drugstore in England, uh, having sex with them in a fast motion scene. <laughs> Eventually, he and his 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 droogs, his buddies, that is Pete, Georgie, and Dim, go out. Break into a house. Um, they're up to their usual ways, and Alex is arrested. He's taken off, he's in prison, and there's a new program where they will do a treatment called the Ludovico treatment, I believe, which will make him a productive citizen. And he can get out of prison if he's willing to do this. So he is given a very extreme aversion therapy where he is forced to watch movies um, with violence and violent imagery, and his eyes are pried open, and this will sort of turn him around, make him a a docile, good little citizen. It seems to work. He gets out and then he has to see how he's going to deal with this world because the world he's living in is a cruel, violent, crazy world as well. And he's turned, that's where the title comes in, by the way. He's a clockwork orange. He looks natural on the outside, but inside he is a mechanism. You know, he's programmed. I didn't know when I was going to ask this, but uh, is is a a clockwork orange a thing that this movie borrowed its time. I heard it was like a poem or something. I don't know. Um, it's uh, Anthony 
Burgess wrote it. That's the title of the novel. I've I'd never heard it other than this movie. Right. Me me either. And I, I kept thinking about like you could have why an orange? It could have been anything. Yeah. Like oh. a, a mechanical bird. I mean, anything that's, right. you know, fake on the inside. And I, yeah, it works, though. I don't I, know. I, guess. I mean, all right. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, so I will just say right off the bat before Billy uh, has his, his chance to speak. I've seen this movie a ton of times. I think first time I saw it was in high school. I saw it in college. I was lucky enough to see it on the big screen a couple of times. And it is, we'll get to a very sort of overwhelming movie visually and sonically. Um, and it's still, it's one of those movies, you know, it's, it's almost 50 years old. It was controversial in its day. And it is, this is a movie you watch and you're like, Man, I can see why this movie stirred up a lot of trouble. And I can see why some people really, really, really didn't like this movie. But I love this movie. Um, and, uh, I like it because of the chances it takes, because of the vision it has. And because it's still, you know, 49 years later, it's still it's still pretty shocking in parts, and I respect that. So, Billy, what did you think of A Clockwork Orange? I have very complicated feelings about this movie. Well, it's it's a complicated movie. I my instinct is to tell you I fucking hated this movie. I, I let me let me explain uh, how I came to watch it, and sort of then how I ended up rewatching it. Um, uh, we were supposed to record this episode last weekend. Right. And then me and my children once again got sick. Because that's right. that's what happens when you have three and five-year-olds. That's right. And I called Will. I said, I have a fever. You're welcome to come over. But And I said, no way. <laughs> nope. So um, I that was that morning. I tried to watch the episodes, the movies, I'm sorry, uh, real near the podcast mm-hmm. release. Because you want it to be fresh. So the fresh, mind. sure. sure. Um, I got to be honest. I, I felt like a little out of sync with uh, Repo Man as our first episode back in a while last week. And I just hadn't seen it in a couple of weeks. Sure, I understand. It, it felt disconnected from it. So I started, um, I had I had my kids for the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, the wife had plans, so I sat with the kids. And Normally, this is not a movie they would pay attention to when you're watching. No, and they yeah. didn't, but <laughs> hold on, no, we'll get there. Uh, and, and this is, you know what, we're at the, we're, we're 20 minutes into this. This is, I'm just, let me ramble for a minute. This ramble is, away, my friend. All right. Um, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to watch this movie. We're not recording tonight anyway. So I'll just, I hadn't watched it yet. I was going to watch it that afternoon. So, man, listen, I'll just put it on in front of my kids. And I watched it for about 10 minutes and went, nope. And I had to turn that off. Um, and it it actually, in the moment, I was like white hot mad. I was like. <laughs> at me? Kind of. Kind of <laughs> at you. Kind of at this movie. I like, could not be more Sort proud. of at culture. You know, it was just like, what? How is this a movie? What? There's like two rapes in the first 10 minutes or something. And they're, they're not subtle it's not like a implied it's like i was gonna say the word graphic but that feels like too service level. they're not it, it's um yeah it's not like i mean it's not a porno movie by any means no and, and i i when i said complicated um there are mitigating factors that are gonna, i'm going to tell you that made me sort of not hate this movie in a couple of ways mm-hmm. i'm sorry that I'm, I'm rambling here but it's like it's that kind of movie um i was thinking about the context of this movie this is not far removed or, or on the way to a movie like Deep Throat becoming a mainstream movie. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it came out at a time when like the Wild Bunch, the movies it's always paired with are the Wild Bunch and Straw Dogs, which were very violent movies. I don't know anything about it. I've never heard oh, yeah. of those. They're both Sam Peckinpah movies and the movie called The Devils. These are four movies that came out around this time that pushed the boundaries of what was shown in movies for the time. I mean, you know, in this time frame, I, I, I thought of Deep Throat because people were showing up at movie theaters watching people have sex 
It was the thing to do. It was what they call porno chic. It was like a like I'm not saying families, obviously, but your average people would go to an adult film theater and watch it and be so like maybe, part of the conversation. So maybe in that context, seeing this much rape and violence stuff, it's like it's it's not necessarily adjacent, but it's in the ballpark. Maybe. Maybe I'm wrong. No, well, I think the I think it's sort of different, but I it was the era. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um I also because so I picked the movie up now and I want to I want to clarify before you start yelling at me. I did watch this thing all the way through on a TV screen, okay? okay? But once I realized this ain't happening right now, I just kind of pulled it up on my phone mm-hmm. and kind of sat on my couch when my kids played. That's how like, Kubrick meant you to watch. It. Oh yeah, well I give a shit about what Kubrick thinks now. So <laughs> So I watched, uh, and by the way, the phone, it's like, it's like 4K. It's beautiful. I have iPhone 11 Pro. Yeah, he dreamt that you would watch it on a, a four by three screen. <laughs> uh, well, sorry, buddy. Uh, and and I watched maybe 20 minutes there. I don't know. And I I, I felt less mad at it, right? And then basically this the third time <laughs> through. Less mad at it. I started from the beginning and I watched the whole Isn't thing. Isn't it great so, to see a movie that just makes you mad though? <laughs> well, it made me less mad the second time through because I knew it was, or, you know, the, the whole time, whatever, because I knew it was kind of coming. So you'd never seen this movie? No, no. Okay, I, okay. Um, when I was in high school, uh, like one of the first girls I ever dated, we like were supposed to watch this movie in a group setting with a bunch of people. And I think we just like made out for a minute and fell asleep. You know, we're like 16. I I have flashed. I remember the guy's face. You know, I remember like the yeah, the classic Kubrick stare. Yeah, the stare down. The guy sitting on the couch at the milk bar. At the like, Ludovic. I, uh, yeah. I remember that, but then it's like I don't. I didn't know anything about the plot. I didn't know, and I somehow avoided. I don't. I didn't know the beats of this movie. I didn't mm-hmm. know what was going to happen. You know, which that's interesting, right? Like an old fifty-year-old movie. Yeah, I knew it, and it, and not uh not an obscure movie. No, no, very. I mean, yeah, but I gotta say, a tough watch. Yeah, oh, it's a tough watch. I'm not arguing. Kind of boring. Now, well, uh, let me get there. Kind of boring in that it feels like they're not that there's not that much going on, so they dress it up in a very stylized language and stylized rape and stylized violence. Like they sort of throw this extra stuff on top of what is otherwise kind of mundane. Just some kids get drunk and mess around, you know. Uh, so way, I don't know. It was nominated for best picture. That that shocks me. It was nominated for best picture, director, adapted screenplay, and editing. That I I don't know what to say to that. That, that I can't believe this movie was anywhere near mainstream. It it made it was cost about uh, two point two million, which back then was it, it was all filmed I think on location. Those yeah. aren't sets, and it made like twenty six million. So it it like did big hit. It yeah. like made by it was a big hit. Yeah yeah yeah. I, I that I don't know I don't know what to say to that. So uh, I'm glad I watched it. And we're going to talk about this for like another half hour, so I'm not ending up here. But I'm glad I watched it. I have no interest in watching this movie ever again. I am fascinated by this movie. And I I find it, I mean, I know why it's controversial. And if somebody doesn't like it, I'm not going to try and convince them. Yeah. I know because, and I'm I'm not soft peddling this, but besides the rapes and the violence and that sort of thing, it is a assault on your senses. See, see, violence... We've seen it before. Like Quentin Tarantino's entire career is violence. Like you, you've seen violence, it's fine, right? Because you, you know it's a movie. I just can't recall seeing like gang rape in a movie. You know, like I can't. And it's it's it takes the movie takes joy and it's filmed in a way where it's like fun. Well, here's the thing: is the movie is very stylized and bouncy and with music when Alex is doing anything. Yeah. When Alex is attacked, it is portrayed as painful 
and nasty. That it's you know what's interesting about that is when any bad thing that ha- like I couldn't unsee and unforgive. There was a moment where when the near the end, um, his buddies become police officers. Yes, and they drown him in water. For by the way, it seemed like way too long. I was thinking like that guy should be dead. I just don't get this at all. <laughs> the old days are dead and gone. <laughs> for what I did in the past, I've been punished. Money. <laughs> I've been cured. Good, yeah. That was read out to us. <laughs> the inspector read it all out to us. He said it was a very good way. <laughs> but what is all this? It was them that went for me, brothers. Kubrick liked to do like the 100 takes, so that must have been miserable for me. Oh, Although God. Malcolm McDowell always loved working on this movie. I got about 12 seconds of air and then I'm dead. Like, well, but he was under there a while. I bet you could hold up for longer than 12 <laughs> seconds. Uh, and I, for a minute, I felt sympathy. I was like, oh, God. And then I went, oh, fuck that guy. Well, but you're supposed to kind I of know. feel. And, you know, I mean, the scene when he is getting the treatment and he's there strapped into a theater and he has literally his eyes are pried open with metal clamps. Yeah. That's real. Oh, that yeah. guy giving the drops yeah. had to be there. And he had eye troubles for months after that. Hmm. And I think that scene is painful to watch. And again, you're forced to side with Alex. Actually, even though I felt sort of nothing during that scene uh, because he bookends each of those scenes with narration. Well, the whole movie is very heavily narrated. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't mind him addressing himself as your humble narrator. Yeah, and whatever. that's all straight out of the book. Yeah. Like the whole language he talks in, which is like a mishmash of Russian and slang and all that. Mm-hmm. And that's because, um, and here's an interesting, well, uh, um, I mean, we're going to spoil Clockwork Orange basically, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but so he goes through this, he, he, um, you know, he's, he's, he's turned into quote unquote, a productive member of society. And then he happens to end up, at the house of the guy whose wife they killed. Yeah. And the guy realizes it's him. And they he plays Beethoven and drives him to jump out the window, essentially, right. in, yeah. in, in a suicide attempt. We didn't really clarify that. And everybody who's listening to this episode has seen. Maybe, words, maybe I'm they sure. haven't. I well, mean, they this, this what do you call it, aversion the, therapy? Yeah, well, it's called the Ludovico technique or okay. something. So. What it does is it makes him, when he sees this, the images and the sounds that he watched during these right. intense videos, they make him feel nauseous instead of the joy and the like sort of, right. let's go out and party, you know. And they happen to be playing Beethoven's Ninth, which is his favorite. That's what he loves. That's his jam. Yeah, that's his jam. And, you know, that's <laughs> like, it's ironic because it's like, you know, played throughout the soundtrack and it's the, you know... Beethoven's Ninth is considered by a lot of people like to be the most beautiful symphony ever written. Like people play it at weddings. It's called the Ode to Joy. And so to use it in this movie where this essentially monster yeah. loves it, you know, and then it's, you know, it's very ironic. And so he's in this house, plot, you know, we're in plotty land here. But by the way, uh, you know, the big, uh, the big guy, not the old man, but the, his like his tough security. Yeah, no, I know that's that's Darth Vader. It's Darth Vader. It's yeah. David Prowse. Yeah, I did know that. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked him. I was like, "Who is that guy?" Like I looked David him up. David Prowse. Like, oh, I'll be damned. <laughs> uh, they're they're in the house, and once the the husband uh, realizes, like, these are the this is the dude who raped my wife. He's singing. Is he playing "Singing in the Rain"? Or yeah, he's singing. He's singing. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah. By the way, Gene Kelly, who starred in "Singing in the Rain," yeah, I did not not like the fact that they use that song. Yeah, no shit. No, I agreed. I mean, <laughs> but and it's weird, right? Like he's he's raping that guy's wife while singing that song and that's and he's kicking him too. He's, he's like, like, yeah, singing kicking him in the, in the ring. And that was all 
Malcolm McDowell's idea because I think Kubrick's like, you need to be dancing during this. Yeah. And so he just started singing the song and they're like, that's it. That's what we'll do. That's like one of those things though where suddenly you owe royalty rights. Well, they do. But it was, again, this is Warner Brothers. This, yeah. Warner Brothers may have made it originally. I mean, I, they had... I might have this fact wrong, but in The Lion King, they sing um, In the Jungle. Like, uh, oh, the tokens in yeah. the jungle. And I'm pretty sure I read that it cost them like a million dollars. They after a the fact, million seems high. It was high because it's Disney. I you do know. know on Community when they did a spoof of Law and Order, they had to pay like thirty six thousand dollars to use that. Dum -dum. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So he locks him up in the attic. Like basically, they drug him. They drug him. They put throw him, him upstairs in the attic, and, and they blast. And they and they're just sitting there listening as these giant speakers are playing. I thought the uh, the actor was. Like he seemed like a perfectly reasonable old man until he sort of snaps. Until he realizes, because he took Alex in not knowing who he was. Right. Because Alex was wearing like a mask and his his usual droogy outfit. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I kind of, sorry, I got you sidetracked there. So then at the end, the, the twist of the movie is, is that he's in the hospital. He's all like, you know, in casts in a body cast. Because he tried to kill himself. Because he tried to kill himself. And uh, the government has changed and they, they say this is not suitable right like this this they've you know whoever whatever government was in power that pushed through this technique no it's them it's it's them who pushed through the technique and now they're trying to like save themselves but then but they're gonna turn alex back though i i don't think so i think what they want to do is like have I, maybe i'm wrong maybe this is i i might have misinterpreted I, dude i watched it that part once you've seen it dozens i'm yeah. sure but i thought the plot was that that government is afraid they're gonna lose power so they they want to publicly apologize and get like the grip and grin photo in the press. They say, do, yeah. The look, government is willing to buddy up with them now. But it's the same government looking. To, they're trying to say, look, he's okay. You know, we're getting all this bad press, but he's fine. I think that's what. This and is. Alex is no longer has the aversion now. He's back to his old self because of months of. And they played the Beethoven, and he says, "I was cured, all right." And then they then they show more like weird random nudity. Well, they dancing. it's his fantasizing. And yeah, I think it's there's a scene. <laughs> In the prison, this is before Alex goes through it. It just shows his mind where he's like, he's like in the prison library and he's reading the Bible and the chaplain's like, oh, what a nice boy. And it shows as he's reading about Jesus, he's fantasizing he was the Roman soldier whipping him. Right. That's like, that's where Alex is coming from. I thought he, wasn't he also Jesus in that scene? I don't remember now. No, I don't think it was a different actor. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But you know, um, one thing I was going to say is the book, and by the way, the book written by uh, Anthony Burgess, who's a British author, it was inspired because his wife was raped by American GIs who were AWOL in England. What a whole, So think about that logic, though, how that tracks. Like, hey, my wife was raped. I'm going to write a book and it's just going to write a book about thugs. I mean, he was writing. And then that movie becomes an Academy Award nominated well, like piece of culture that everybody's got to be reminded of. I mean, if you're the wife, aren't you just like, what the hell? I well, be a part of this. But here's the thing. In the novel, there's a chapter at the end where Alex is older and he's sort of grown out of this. He's not. Oh, he's, gro he's grown out of rape. Well, he's grown. It's like the it's implying like the, the teenagers, you know, teen. I mean, obviously on an extreme scale, but teenagers will do things. But eventually humanity is not awful and people who do horrible things can be redeemed. That's the last chapter in the book. Kubrick read an American version that left out that last chapter, which is why the book, the movie ends with Alex being a complete monster still at the end and it being like, I was cured, you know, an ironic kind of 
now he's going to go back out and God only knows what he's going to do. Our Children of Men has a similar sort of sect of society. It's like the Children of Men is an episode we did, I don't know, a couple of months back where people stop reproducing. Yeah. So all the youngest people, I think they're in their mid, early 20s, mid 20s. And this is in the book, right? Right. Yeah. Are like privileged people. So they do things like rape and torture and burn things down and they're protected because they're the youth. They're, the, mm -hmm. they're, they're all that's left. So you don't want them to. Right. You know, it just it kind of watching Clockwork Orange kind of reminded me of, of Children of Men, although I understand that, you know. Yeah. Which and in the book, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, in the movie, um, you know, one of the things is, and again, this is why I think people, you know, whatever they feel about the violence and the sex in the movie, one of the things people have a problem with is you are encouraged to, on some level, root for Alex. Yeah, you are. Because Alex is, he's the smartest character. He's the most charismatic character. He's the one who seems to be, for his, I'm not excusing his many faults, but he's the one who is sort of living his life. Like the the adults are all kind of pathetic. Well, and, he's the hero. Yeah, yeah. I yeah mean, but right. he's like, you know, he likes classical music, and he's witty, and he's got a real style about him, you know. And he's the leader of his gang, at least for a while. You yeah. know, the other droogs are kind of dull. He calls the one dim. Dim, <laughs> yeah. It's Pete Georgian dim, and uh, yeah, and he like smacks him hard with a cane when dim makes like interrupts a woman who's singing Beethoven at the milk bar. A Russian woman, I think. So, yeah. Yeah. And she's been, you know, and I mean, this, the, all the characters, his mom, they all are wearing, you know, his mom wears like a, a is it a purple wig or a green wig? Or she's got some purple hair. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the woman singing is like supposed to be like kind of rich classy woman, but her eye makeup is just like crazy. It goes like all around her eyes and stuff. And I mean, the whole movie, what it's, what's hard to get across on a podcast is the visual style, I mean, the, the sets, which are all filmed in like brutalist architecture in London and the graffiti is everywhere. And, you know, a lot the of, costumes are crazy. The, the A lot of like nudity is a theme. Yeah. It's like all the artwork, like even in his house, there's just like naked people on the walls. Yeah, there's like, and he's got like that little chorus line of Jesus statues and, you know, a naked woman, there's like a snake, like his pet snake is going through it when he goes to the the drugstore i mean the the way the camera follows him it's very disorienting and that that shot um it's so all right let's let, do you want to talk about characters anymore i'm going to lead you in no i don't think this. we need the. i think no, i mean some them. of the characters are interesting the mom i don't know he says to her like enjoy your factory job or have fun at the yeah. factory or and he's, he's skipping school oh don't feel too good today mom <laughs> think about it stay home and you know he never goes to school no, and of it's course like, he doesn't um so we meet i do want to talk about i think is it randy the the replacement him yeah he goes to prison and then like they read his room out to like a better version yeah of him. that's uh, interesting yeah and see that's the thing when alex is laid low when he comes back you kind of feel for him you're like i mean at least i did and i think audiences you know you're not he's that you're put in the position to identify with alex of all the people yeah maybe i mean i think you're supposed to it's just if, if you're a, you're a soul you don't feel <laughs> yes and you you know uh the part of the the middle section there where he goes to prison it's the most boring part it's way too long it's i mean and that is i mean i've seen it so many times it's i kind of yeah i like it but i mean that kubrick is very methodical i mean you love the shining we yeah. all love the shining but it's very methodical 2001 is very methodical uh, dr strange up is very methodical i did enjoy the like check into prison scene mm -hmm. like do not step past that do line yeah all that one thing i think is interesting about prison is in this movie <laughs> let me tell you tell me about your experience in prison. No, like yeah, we won't go into that now but um i think it's interesting that in this movie or in a movie like this 
you would expect the prison chaplain to be like just a, a mockery, like kind of a, you know, like, oh, he's, you know, and, and the movie definitely sort of mocks religion in that. The prison chaplain is the one person who is saying, this is not right. You shouldn't have, you shouldn't do that to his personality. That's, you know, you should make, you have the freedom to make moral choices. That's yeah. what morality is. It's not having the choices made for you. Yeah, uh, which reminds me of the scene just before he says all that. Uh, there's a naked woman just standing there. Well, that's like on that's display. after he's had the yeah. treatment. Yeah, well, I, I thought the I thought the chaplain goes crazy. Well, yeah, I guess treatment. it was. Yeah, because okay. he's like watching what Alex has become, and he's because he's supposed to be like normally Alex would attack the woman, but or he's, something, yeah. you know, or whatever. But but it's weird because like it, it felt I gotta say it felt gratuitous. Like there's a shot where like you're you're seeing a first person perspective from Alex where he's laying on the ground looking up at a naked woman, and I'm just, it just felt exploitive. I don't well, know. It's I mean, well, I'll. I've got a thought on sort of the style of movie, but we'll get to okay, that. Okay, no. okay. Choice. The boy has no real choice, has he? Self-interest. The fear of physical pain drove him to that grotesque act of self-abasement. Its insincerity was clearly to be seen. He ceases to be a wrongdoer. He ceases also to be a creature capable of moral choice. Padre, these are subtleties. We're not concerned with motives, with a higher ethics. We are concerned only with cutting down crime. Yeah, yeah I don't think any other characters, the, the, the droogs or whatever, they're whatever. They're, I mean, they're just his sidekicks, you know. Yeah. Um, it's funny that they're so docile. Like when he's like, hey, here's what's going to happen. When he finally gets caught, uh, by the police, you you boys are gonna wait down here, and I'm gonna climb through that window, and and then like it cuts back later, and they're just kind of sitting there going, yeah. oh, wonder what's going on. Well, and then when they become cops, it's like they're exactly the same personalities. Now they're just thugs in uniform, mm-hmm. you know, right? Um, although the, you never find out what happened to the other one, right? It's like Georgie and, and Dim become cops. Yeah, but, but Pete, I don't know. Yeah, who yeah. knows? Yeah. I mean, but it does. They're just, it doesn't matter. Yeah, right, yeah. they they have no differentiating. I don't like how the homeless guy who they they beat up a homeless guy in the beginning of the movie, and then later on, like five years later or whatever the homeless guy recognizes the guy who beat him up i'm like eh, i don't know if that yeah. drunk and what's all street. like played the whole beginning is played backwards with you yep. know alex and this and that um as far as sort of how the movie looks will how, how did you feel about how the movie looked? i love it i love how the movie looks but i know why some people don't like it because it is an assault on the viewer deliberately i mean even at the beginning it's like just scenes of, I mean, just screens of like bright red, yeah. bright blue. The movie opens bright, with just red, just red. Yeah. I sent you a, like a photo of my my TV and I said, guess what movie I'm watching? And it was just red. There's yeah. nothing, just <laughs> red. And um, and I I read, there's a, a guy online I, I've read for years, this guy named Glenn Erickson. He reviews movies and DVDs <laughs> under the name, the DVD Savant, but he's he worked in Hollywood. He's like, he's great at reviewing movies. And he, um, he like, he's older. So he saw this in the theater when it came out. And he said, like, he wondered, like, at first, like, why, why is this movie so assaultive? Why did Kubrick film it like this? And he said, and I always thought this was interesting. He says, the movie is designed. Okay, think of this. This movie was made for the people in the movie. Like, if you lived in this world and went to see a movie, this is the kind of movie you would see. It would be not subtle, it would be loud, there would be you know, nudity and violence, and it would all be right there to entertain an audience that is you know, primed for ultimate sensation. Okay. You know, it's like, a, 
It's like it's the movie was Kubrick directed the movie as if he was making a movie that Alex would go see. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I think that's fine. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't have any. It's 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 weird the like the mixing of genres like the Roman art with the 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 brutalist style like you said like there, there's a weird cho- but it's just choices you know you yeah. just kind of go like what would be interesting mm-hmm. and because originally I think I can't remember if you tweeted me this or when you were starting to watch it and you're like it's so seventies I don't know if I said that I just I, I think said you did I think, I'm I can't find it but I think you said I something about tweets. no. I think it was on a message, but anyway, but something like it's very 70s and it was filmed in the 70s, but it really it's the 70s weren't like this. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> and plus this is I mean, it's it's very much of its era, but it's like there's no, you know, none of Kubrick's other movies look anything like this either. It's it's so I'll never ding Kubrick for his technique. Like, I feel like what do I know? I always feel like what I need to preface like, who am I? Right. But. I'll never ever criticize Kubrick for the way he puts together a movie. You know, I just but you know, half of a movie is what happens in the movie. Sure. You know? The other half I I almost always love. Like when you bring these movies to the podcast, it's like it's really cool to watch the way something was made. The steady cam in the shining, it's like a cool shot. Like, oh, that's interesting. And the, the like the way the sensory Kubrick does a great job of knowing what the audience is, you know. There's that phrase, uh, you might not have noticed it, but your brain Your brain did. It's pretty good at Red Letter Media. Kubrick is so good at, your brain will pick up on Uh what this is. Uh, Really hard to argue with any of it, but sometimes the the actual movie, it's like, that's just the device he needed to do these cool tricks. Well, that is legendarily why he made The Shining. He didn't care about the story at all. He just wanted, he wanted to make a horror movie Mm -hmm. and he wanted a skeleton and he could put his horror movie on. See, I I guess I knew that sort of, but it seems like that's his whole thing. It's like his aesthetic is... You know, like let's work on cool technical filmmaking stuff, and yeah, the, movie, the plot, whatever. I don't really care. Let's pick a I mean, plot. But, I know? mean, I think the plots. You know, I mean, I, th- I mean, this isn't maybe plot heavy. I think it's a character heavy movie. I mean, I think you have Alex. This is the mo- story of Alex. Yeah, and I think Malcolm McDowell gives. I mean, this is a great performance. His performance is really good. I mean, it's the, when Malcolm McDowell dies, it will say Malcolm McDowell, comma who played Alex in a clockwork. I mean, this is the performance that defines him. Yeah, and he's been in a lot of stuff, but this is the one. It's interesting because if you read interviews and he'd like, he loved making this movie. He was a pretty young man. He loved working with Kubrick. And then when it was over, he kind of expected Stanley and I'll hang out. And Stanley's like on to his next movie. It's like, that's not how it works. Yeah. And he was kind of like heartbroken in a way. Did he, did he get more offers after this? Did he become a big star? After? Yeah, he, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know if he became a huge star, but he's, he's worked steadily ever okay. since. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's still working. I know you're going to make fun of what I'm about to say. And I accept that. <laughs> I love this setup. But the the live action Aladdin that was made um, in 2019. Well, no, shut up and listen. (laughs) Uh, Directed by Guy Ritchie. Mm -hmm. Really well done movie. I mean, like, whatever. It's unnecessary. It shouldn't exist. No, it shouldn't exist. But it's a it's it's. You look at it, it goes. This is well crafted. People worked hard on this, and it's there's no part of it where I'm like, that's a stupid movie or whatever. Right. The lead actor, the kid who played Aladdin. Had this thing, it came out, it was like a Twitter moment the other day or whatever is, you know, entertainment, whatever magazine he told the story in. Not one audition, not one phone call since the movie came out. And mm-hmm. because it, it's a corporate product. Yeah. It's like, and you could have plugged me or you into that movie. I just, well, he's talented. He's good in the movie. He is. He's, he sings, he dances, he's charming. He seems like he could have been, you know, the, the like, you know, Indian version of Han Solo. I think when they did, the way those Disney movies go, you could plug, you could, I mean, they hired Guy Ritchie. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Hire me. 
I'll make the same movie with all the. I mean, because Guy Ritchie's not putting any of his Guy Ritchie ness into that movie. There's, there is a little bit of it. That's all. And well, I don't want to talk about Aladdin anymore. It doesn't matter. But no. I was just thinking about this young man does a movie, pretty good. Whatever, it's fine. He does it. He did a quality job, and then his thing was like, I'm done. That's weird. And yeah. I almost wondered if that happened to. No, I'm not going McDowell. He's made other. Thank you for letting me go into that weird tangent. But yes, <laughs> we need to talk more about Aladdin. Yeah. The live action movie. So it's, on this all, thing. All, my, my review of that is it's not as bad as you think. I will never watch that movie. Uh, I don't care. I guarantee it. <laughs> I would, I would rather watch Clockwork Orange 500 times than watch that movie I'm, once. I'm going to figure out some way to make it. So we have to review that movie for the podcast. And, and it's that'll be, be the, when the podcast ends, my friends, <laughs> all the times that I think the, the, like we pick, you know, our, our traffic heavily tied to what movie we're watching for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, like, sure. There are episodes that we do where I'm like, that was a good episode or that was a bad episode or whatever. They're all good. Let's be clear. But, <laughs> <laughs> but where I think, hey, that one's going to be a big download and it's just not, um, you know, you know what our worst ever performing episode was? What was it? Children of Men. Which is a great movie, a, and I thought a good episode, right? And but, just it, it's notably like lagging in traffic, and that I think it's just because that movie's not that big. It's just not that big of a movie relative to A Clockwork Orange, which will I, I my expectation is this will get lots of downloads. Hopefully, I bet you Repo Man doesn't get very many. I don't know. We'll see. Prove then, us wrong. Yeah, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, just keep subscribing. All. Exactly. Just keep smash subscribing. that like. We button. don't care if you listen. Just download. No, we we very much care if you listen. Uh, I, I got us. I got us off topic here. Uh, we talked about cinematography. We talked about sort of the techno aspect. How about music? Well, I mean, the music is, you know, it's it's. I uh, a friend of mine used to have this. This is back when I was in college. He had the LP soundtrack of A Clockwork Orange. I think I taped it off him. And I mean, it's a lot of Beethoven, and yes. it's a lot of, uh, you know, and then singing in the rain. <laughs> and there's a couple other songs in there, like, you know, but it's it's. Well, how do you feel about the way the music was used, I guess? Is oh, I think it's used very well because it's, I mean, Kubrick, he knew how to use classical music. For, and by the way, classical music's free to use. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's out of copyright. But, um, I mean, the whole movie is about a guy who loves Beethoven. Are they, so are you, they playing Beethoven in the record stuff? Because he goes, he visits the record That store. might not be Beethoven. I don't remember. That might be. That record store, by the way, that's actually a place. Have you ever heard the Rolling Stones song? I no. think it's, I can't. But they mentioned the Chelsea Drugstore. That's the Chelsea Drugstore. That's interesting. And by the way, if you look in there, um, one of the records on sale is the 2001 soundtrack. I saw that. I actually thought that was, I got to be honest, that's the one thing where I looked at it was like, oh, Stanley, like you could do a little better. And then um, also there's a, they have a list of artists and there's an artist called Heaven 17, which was not a real band. However, a real band took their name from the movie. Oh yeah, of course. Also, one other thing, in the book, those two women that he picks up and goes home and has sex with, yeah. uh, they're like 12 year old girls in the novel. Oh, I'm so happy he didn't do that. Yeah. That's, no, well, they couldn't, I don't think. They uh, oh, they well, couldn't. Plus, well, no, they couldn't because the whole point of the movie is you like Alex and that would turn you against Alex. Oh, sure. Yeah, not the other stuff that would turn me against Alex, just that. No, but that would really turn you against oh Alex. Let's see, and now I'm mad at this movie again. We were having a good conversation. Why am I not at the movie? Because, it's the book where they did it. Because Kubrick wanted to do it, but he just he knew you, better. No, he knew. <laughs> <laughs> Any other thoughts on A Clockwork Orange? Um, um, if you <laughs> if you are not uh, you know um, susceptible to seizures of any kind, I encourage you to go on YouTube and look up the original trailer, which is a one of as it's like as assaultive as the movie is, this is a trailer condensed into, you know, like two minutes just of rapid fire. Bop, 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 yeah. bop, 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 bop. 
with no sound, with no no dialogue. So no, I couldn't, I couldn't and, use it. But words flash on the screen like violent, beautiful, magnificent, sex. That, that, yeah, that, but then that, they, that. they start to repeat. Actually, yeah. I noticed. So I was like, I ran out of words, guys. Need more adjectives. I think that's what they meant to do. Uh-huh. Well, someday we'll watch a movie called um, The Parallax View. I will never watch The Parallax View on this podcast. That's right. When we watch that movie, this podcast will end. Excellent. But this movie, <laughs> sorry, um, directed by the same guy who did uh, All the Presidents, but it's part of that early 70s paranoia. But there's a scene where Warren Beatty goes to this uh, this conspiracy's, like, he, he's, a, he's trying to get into this company that he believes is recruiting assassins. And they sit down in a room... And there's a a presentation like of images flying up at him and words and stuff like that. And it goes on for, I think, about five minutes. But the interesting thing is when he sits down and it starts, it doesn't cut back to him. You are watching it. Oh, so you get the Yeah. You know what else does that is the Blade Runner 2049. That's right. Yeah, that does the, that. The quick in the camera kind of zooms in on the words as they mm-hmm. get faster. And but they, you, I mean, you can go online and watch this, like look up Parallax View, whatever it's called. I mean, you'll find it. But it is. I will not find it. It's fascinating because like these images, like it'll have like, you know, the flag and like a Norman Rockwell painting of a family. And it'll say like family, country, this and that. But then it'll use the same images and different words. And it plays the same in a combination. And it is so disturbing by the end. Interesting. It's, it's beautifully done. It's yeah. one of the best edited things. But anyway, it's, you sort of are like Alex watching these crazy images, except his eyes aren't pried open. So what you're saying is you're very pro-Alex. Love this movie because you love the actions of the protagonist. Yes, I applaud and approve of everything Alex does in this movie. I will say this. I will, uh, this will be the thing I, I leave <laughs> on this movie. Um, my wife is a huge movie fan. She loves a lot of the movies I love. She does not, however, love every movie that I love. And um, one time when we were first together, she got me this on DVD for Christmas. Okay. And so it was like Christmas night or something. And I popped it in and sat down and started watching it. And she walked in the room and said... We are not watching A Clockwork Orange on Christmas. That's you got to watch Starship Troopers. I couldn't argue that. Yeah, that's right. Your tradition is Starship <laughs> Troopers. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I don't really have a final thought of my own. I, I, I don't want to watch it again. I, you know, I do have a final thought, actually. Um, one thing that's really struck me in the moment of watching this movie was the first 25, 30 minutes or whatever, you know, I thought Alex was like super villain, right? Like, his gangs fighting other gangs. He's raping. He's fighting. Like it's it's really just like uh, horrific. It's a hard watch. And then he goes home and just like talks to his parents. Yeah. And he it really like kind of knocked the piss out of him to me. Like it really well, made him seem like just like a loser. It's kid. kind of a schmo. He's, yeah. he's just a, he, I mean Malcolm McDowell was older, but he's supposed. To, I think in the book he's younger. He's supposed to be like just your average teenager shitty teenager right? and this just is like, what he's up to at night and but i didn't know you know you don't know that you don't have that information sure the first time through until you have it and that really when that happened i kind of went oh mm-hmm. f this guy like i was really mad at him when i found out that he was just a loser oh so you liked him better when he was out doing horrible things but when you find out he's just a schmo you didn't like him no interesting well, so you approved of what he was doing no i i disapproved of what he's doing and i but he, it was more interesting well, I just I didn't realize his age, I guess. And and when you see it, it's like, well, what's he at a bar for? Like, because they sh- they open in a bar. I know it's, it's the milk bar, but it's a milk bar plus milk plus milk right. plus villachette and milk. It's like drugs are in the yeah, bar. like speed essentially. Yeah, um, they to get, get him good and ready for ultraviolence. For ultraviolence. <sighs> yeah, so I don't know. I'm never gonna see it again. I did have a friend who read this book, or he was started to read this book, and he said, "I don't want to learn a whole new language to read a book." <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I thought the prison scenes were boring. Um, I didn't understand 
the the prominence of the priest or whatever. It was like, why is this guy so important all of a sudden? Like he gets a lot. He's like, you could say like the fourth or third or fourth most important character in the movie. Like it's weird. Um, I, and I thought, honestly, once he goes to the hospital, that bored me too. I was like, like when he was doing his little what makeup dialogue for these pictures. Yeah, like, smash your eggy waggies, your little. Uh, it's weird though. Shouldn't he have felt? Oh, that's that's when we should have included in that. You know, yes, yeah, that things he, were not all. Yeah, that he's not healed anymore. No. Anyway, that is what we thought of Clockwork Orange. Uh, we would love to know sincerely what you think of a Clockwork mm-hmm. Orange. Find us on Twitter, Facebook. Um, I think we're on Instagram, but we don't. We're not active enough. No, I don't do it. I'm um, kind of lazed off on that. At Out of Theaters. Um, Find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a review. Um, we'll try to read those aloud as they come in. I actually have one I want to pull up for you here from Vernson, which strikes me as an interesting name. Do you know Vernson? I don't know. I don't either. Um, apologies, Vernson, if we do know you. Uh, but if you listen to one podcast which devotes itself to random films from multiple eras, this should be it. Will and Billy take film seriously, but not to the point of sounding clinically boring. They relish the experience of film and have a camaraderie although adversarial at times, makes listening to it all that much more entertaining. I thought that was very nice and sums up the show. Yeah, I like that, man. Thank you. It makes the show sound better than it is. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Vernson. We would appreciate it if you would go there, leave us reviews. We're not at the threshold of uh, our our boy Conan O'Brien, as we said last week. (laughs) But it does help us. Every little bit helps, and it makes a... Sort of gives us a more robust and professional experience to be able to say, hey, look at all these reviews. Come see it. We're legit. What are we going to watch next week, Will? Well, why don't we watch? Um, I'd like, see. and I don't mean to interrupt you. I'd, I'd like to do. I, I'm assuming you have something in mind already, but let's let's jump. First off, I'd like to watch something nicer. Okay, like okay. a little a little less like. Well, let, let's um, straw dogs and, and one a bunch. No, so I'm just either kidding. either go go fifties and make me watch some dumb musical like Singing in the Rain again, which is just you know glossy and. But nice that'll and just make you think of Alex <laughs> kicking that poor guy. Or let's go forward and watch something more modern. Okay, take your path. I don't. Care. How about since uh, our buddy Leo DiCaprio is you know he's currently in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. How about one of his earlier movies, which is definitely a fun movie. It's It has its dark moments, but I think it's mostly uh, lighthearted entertainment. And I think it's a very underrated Steven Spielberg movie. Let's watch Catch Me If You Can. Catch Me If You Can. I love this movie. It's a good movie. It's interesting because it's got Tom Hanks, Leo. It's got a, a very young Amy Adams, one of her first performances yeah, that I know Yeah, she's got of. braces. <laughs> yeah, she has the braces in it. And it's... um. Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken. Martin. One of his best performances. Yeah, I, I agree. Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen's in it. It's a big, yeah, it's a big Spielberg movie. It's a big, did, did this do anything? Did it get Academy Awards or anything? I saw this in theater. I can't remember. I saw it in theater too. And it's, um, I think it's one that, you know, when people talk Spielberg, they talk, you know, either the special effects stuff or Schindler's List or this right. and that. It's just a good, solid, sort of comedic adventure, but with definitely with its serious moments based on a true story. Yeah. Um, and in a, a great score by John Williams that is unlike his other, you know, Star Wars. It's and, uh, it's like plucky. It's like that, that, that. And yeah, the great the, credit uh, sequence. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah very, it's uh, the credit sequence. I remember the credit sequence. It reminds me of like 101 Dalmatians. Yeah. It's very uh, animated. It's very mid-century modern. And, yeah. um, you know, a lot of movies like, you know, Repo Man and Clockwork Orange and The Matrix and a lot of our movies... You can't really watch with the whole family or your whole family's not going to want to watch it. This one, I think, I mean, there might be a little bit of sex here and there, but I think you can watch it with your whole family. And I think it's a movie that it's it's one of the most accessible movies we're going to do, I think. I think that's, yeah, I think that's about right. Yeah, I'm actually really excited about it's this It's a good one. movie. And by the way, I just checked. And if you have Amazon Prime, it is free to watch on Amazon Prime. Boom. Amazon, everybody's got Amazon Prime. I know, exactly. So, boom. 
Cool. All right. Well, next week we'll we'll get back to catch me if you can. Uh, until next time, we will miss you all most, most of all. Most of all.